It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother! Welcome, everyone, to the final edition of 1999's Reliving the War here on the Grey Wolf Wrestling Network. We are slightly behind, but if you watched or listened to any of these pay-per-views, you'd know why these were quite a struggle to get through. My name is Nims Azor, joined as always by Simon Tackler, and we are at the final pay-per-view for the WWF in 1999. It is Armageddon, and Simon, as I said, we mentioned it on our WCW episode, but even the WWF didn't exactly pump out quality content this year. Yeah, especially in the end. The end of 1999 is very strange for pro wrestling, even though it was hotter than ever and the WWE was making big money and even ECW was doing well and WCW is still technically doing well, even though ratings have dropped. Wrestling is big. But creatively, and what we're seeing on screen, especially in the last couple of months, whether it was due to Vince Russo jumping and that sort of, you know, screwed up creative plans for the WWE and they had to scramble, it just, things feel a little bit off. And also, we are dealing with two of the biggest stars uh, taking time off. Austin is gone and The Undertaker's gone. So WWE is also working through that, plus incorporating new stars. They put it all together literally by the next pay-per-view. But these these past couple of shows have been uh, you know, not as good as the standard we're used to. I was actually quite surprised at how much I enjoyed uh, Armageddon 1999 because yeah. I can remember hating it as a kid, <laughs> as, just specifically because the, it was the only bits I saw of it was the main event, as uh, sorry, the, the WWF title match on Superstars and the fallout of the main event, but we'll get to that in just a moment because we get one of the most epic and surreal video promos you will see highlighting the feud between Vince McMahon and Triple H. Yeah, it's you can't words just can't describe it. That's all I'm saying. It's it's biblical. It's got biblical overtones, and it's somewhat ironically hilarious as well. Yeah, it's it's kind of cool. Like WWE had done a bunch of these for a couple of years where everything is tied into you know biblical references and war and this one though doesn't have a voiceover it's just text on the screen with you know cinematic sort of classical music it is really really cool and it's all in like sepia tone and it sort mm. of fits the theme of you know armageddon and it doesn't go for very long but it is very powerful i guess yeah um, we get the pyro as to start us up. The camera pans around the crowd. It's so 1999 because there's even a dude in a FUBU shirt in the crowd. <laughs> but I got to say, the Armageddon set is awesome. It's probably it's it's you might recognize it if you've played WWF No Mercy, but it's such a sick looking set. It's just a bunch. Of, it's almost like over the edge from 1998, just on steroids. 
Yeah, it's really cool. And you've got all like the military equipment there. You've got the car and the machine guns and stuff. It looks good. They're, you know, we're getting into the era of really over the top themed stages for the WWE. WCW had been doing it, you know, for a couple of years with Bash at the Beach and Halloween Havoc. And now the WWE is putting their spin on it. Yeah. Um, we start off with a 16 man tag team match to kick off uh, the proceedings. Basically, it's, it's, Picture an eight-man battle royal, but double the rules because mm. if one man gets eliminated, your team is. Bubba Ray Dudley still has the study gimmick. And what I found interesting was Howard Finkel refers to Edge and Christian as Christian and Edge. I I think he would do that a bit. That kind of rang a bell when he did that. I think yeah. just so it wasn't always Edge and Christian. Yeah, he would sometimes say Christian and Edge, which, yeah, going against the In grain. In hindsight, it sounds so weird, but there is a nice pop yeah. for Agent Christian. Um, um, ENC attack the Dudleys the minute they enter. The refs clear things up. The headbangers are out next, and the Hardys are on their rise up because they get a massive cheer. Yeah. They're still with Terry at the t at the time, but she's obviously smart enough to go right up. I'm clear. You're clearly not here for me. So see you guys. Which is crazy that yeah they were able to overcome that, and this was the first real hardy boys pop on a pay-per-view i think they were building momentum with no mercy in the ladder match and now you know we're going into 2000 the hardy boys are who they are um rodney and pete gas are out next for as part of the main street posse jr's hate of the posse is just legendary <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> um a nice amount of cheers for the acolytes as well they're still transitioning from the weird gothic, sorry, I don't want to say gothic. Um, yeah, gothic lifestyle. Gothic lifestyle. <laughs> they're it. almost there because they've gotten rid of the chest tattoos and they've also mm -hmm. gotten rid of the scary music. They now have their awesome APA music. Yeah, so they they're right at that cusp of becoming the APA full. And um, we also get a good cheer for Too Cool. Yeah. It's quite a, it's a mega turnaround it from Survivor Series. Didn't take them long. They get over so quick, and in two thousand for the whole year. They get the big, like one of the biggest reactions on every pay per view. So I'm looking forward to the era of too cool. Yeah, Mark Henry and the Godfather are out next with the hose. What a pop they get! Says... I think it's for the hose, but I still. Know. I know. <laughs> but a great line. Jr. says that Mark Henry is like a fox in a hen house. <laughs> I know. Very good. Um, also, I thought but, uh... Godfather was in a tag team with D'Lo. Now he's in a tag team with Mark Henry. Yeah, what the hell? It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, we will see D'Lo a little bit later on, but um, and it's almost like he fully sheds the pimp gimmick. Mark Henry makes weird. more sense, though, because he's sexual chocolate. Sexual chocolate, yeah. Um, so it's all in Bedlam to start. The Main Street Posse are eliminated, but Joey Abs is out and the referee doesn't see it. Joey Abs then gets eliminated, but Rodney gets back in. Pete Gas gets eliminated and then they're out. It's... It's just all in bedlam. The headbangers are out next. The acolytes get rid of Mark Henry. Two cools whittled away by Edge and Christian until we get to basically what everyone wants to see. Edge and Christian, the acolytes, the Hardys, and the Dudleys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most of the pieces of WWE's, you know, really good tag division over the next year and a half or two years is in play here. Like you said, all of those main teams are there at the end and they have a good exchange. Once it sort of empties out, it's all pretty good for the last few minutes. I found it pretty notable. You notice the Hardy Boys pop you just mentioned, but when Jeff Hardy takes his shirt off, 
that also gets a massive, like, huge female cheer. And I reckon yeah. that's the first time that's happened on pay at least. Yeah, that's starting to become a thing. The uh, Hardy Boys going topless. I think Jeff would always get a slightly bigger cheer than Matt. Yeah. Um, we should mention too, so uh, Edge and Christian eliminated by the Dudleys. The Dudleys get eliminated by Matt after they do a 3D on Jeff Hardy because Devon uh, starts showboating after they've done that. Acolytes and the Hardys are left and Farouk gets eliminated, but the ref doesn't see it. Because Matt and Fer- if they almost do like a Royal Rumble '94 sort of elimination, don't they? Sort of a double kind of thing where it's iffy on, you know, who really went out. Mm. Um, the match continues. Both Matt and Bradshaw are hanging on for dear life as Jeff Hardy gets launched over the top rope, and um, the Acolytes win the 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 number one contendership for the tag team titles. Yeah, I kind of figured they would win, just sort of knowing what happens, you know, over the next month or whatever. But a, a pretty fun opener. Battle Royal is a good way to open a show. You had a lot of teams who are really starting to get over here. And, we're, you know, this is setting up the tag division for the next year and going into 2000. Pretty much everyone in this match, you know, is going to be a big part of that. So this was fun. And the APA winning, they don't feel like heels tied to the ministry anymore. They're kind of their own thing. Mm-hmm. And starting to, you know, get over as themselves too. So yeah, no, I thought this was a, a fairly good start to the show. You mentioned how quickly the WWE took to, you know, turn things around. And Lillian Lillian Garcia is backstage with Kurt Angle, and he's just nailed his character. In one <laughs> month, he's picked so it up. Good. This promo is great. So at the Survivor series, we mentioned how in his debut with uh Stasiak, the crowd didn't really know how to take him. They thought they were meant to like him, but they didn't. So they were chanting boring and booing him. Then he does that promo mid-match where he's like, don't boo an Olympian. And they sort of get it. It picks up at the end. But yeah, a month in, this promo absolutely nails Kurt Angle. Like Kurt Angle, the character is there. He's got the three eyes. He's got the promos already. He's great in the ring. Kurt Angle was done. <laughs> you know, yeah. by the end of 2000, he's world champion. Like, And it doesn't feel forced not even world champion. He's won every singles title in the company and it never felt undeserving. This promo, he's talking about a match on SmackDown where him and Steve Blackman were a tag team and Steve Blackman got pinned. Therefore, Kurt Angle thinks he's still undefeated, (laughs) which becomes a big part of Kurt Angle's, you know, uh, just sort of he's like this deluded kind of guy. It's great. Um, Kurt makes his entrance in his match against Steve Blackman on the pay-per-view and he's about to cut a promo before he's cut off by Blackman's music. Blackman gets off to a pretty hot start and it's crazy how quickly that Kurt has figured out his character because he's playing up for the crowd after big moves. We get a little bit of a boring chant here too, so he hasn't quite figured it all out yet, but that is acknowledged by JR as the action sort of spills to the outside. Kurt does a great job to bring the crowd back though. See, I don't think the boring chants were them saying it because the match was boring. I think the crowd was trying to make it a thing with his character. You know, like it would become, right. they, they would sort of do it to Lance Storm later on and then they acknowledged yeah. it on TV and it kind of ruined him in the WWE. But yeah, I think they overcame that. They didn't let it become too much of a thing. I don't think the crowd does that for, you know, more than I can, I'm just trying to think. By the Royal Rumble, that's not a thing for Kurt Angle. Well, not even by the match. It's, yeah, it's that's true. Kurt yeah. Angle because because <laughs> yeah. they, they then the the crowd then swaps over to say um, Angle sucks. Yeah, so which is so so they pick it up pretty damn quick. 
Um, a belly to back suplex by Angle gets the win, and he celebrates with the victory like he won in Atlanta '96 again. <laughs> it, it's great how he always did that. Uh, like yeah. how everyone was like the gold medal match. It really, really funny. And and again, we see him do the German suplex to win. That would kind of become one of his signature moves, of course, with the the triple Germans. Uh, you know, suplex city before it was Brock's and. It was kind of weird that Kurt and Benoit both had that as a signature move at the same time. I always thought it was weird, the yeah. triple Germans. Um, but anyway, I will say, though, we do see Kurt Angle's moonsault for the first time in this match, yeah. too. And goddamn, that is the best moonsault. It's so crazy that that's literally... This is his second pay-per-view <laughs> match, and he's picked it up that damn quick. Um, post-match, Steve Blackman beats the crap out of Angle with some nunchucks just to look let the crowd go home happy the crowd cheers though like what a sore loser you lost fairly Kurt Angle didn't cheat he just pinned you with a wrestling mm. move yeah um, there's another bit here where we see the silhouette of a lady getting changed backstage before a recap of Ivory being pushed into a pool on Sunday Night Heat Michael Cole is backstage to interview BB Barbara Bush it was wasn't it mm-hmm. yep so she's in an evening gown match and Cole is like a prepubescent kid in this. In more ways than one. He acts like one and he looks like one. <laughs> he does. Poor Michael <laughs> Cole having to do this where he's staring at her chest and he can't get his words out. But it is pretty funny because <laughs> it's like, oh, thank you. Uh, thank you. And he like sort of just walks off. I was doing some research. So yeah, her name was Barbara Bush, but it was meant to be like BB for big boobs or whatever. Uh... But I was reading... Her original name, and I'm guessing it's when Russo was still there, and they were like, all right, that's too much on the nose. we got to tone it down because they all already had, remember, Beaver Cleavage or whatever. So yep. her name was going to be um, Connie Lingus. Oh, and- <laughs> oh that's a <laughs> And supposedly they were like, all right, mate. You can go to WCW now. <laughs> yeah, see you, mate. Yeah. And yeah. you saw it with his naming conventions with uh, Major Guns, you know, and Huge Erection. Huge Erection, like, yeah. And then, to, you know, TNA and SEX. Like, come on. God. Oh, man. Anyway, this is probably a leftover from Vince Russo because next up is an evening gown match. It'll be in a pool because why else wouldn't it be? I did pop a bit when JR called May Young at May Young and Moolah Rest Home Rejects. Oh, JR was good in that. Not only that, but at one time when someone was trying to unzip the other person, he said, oh, you know, going for the zipper, going for the Greco-Roman zipper lock, which was pretty good. <laughs> um, Miss Kitty's out next. She's got China's music. She's fully rebranded to like a mini China. She's not, is she? yeah, she's not yet the cat, is she? Yeah, she's still Miss Kitty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jacqueline's out next as JR asks King if Miss Kitty wears underwear, because obviously that was his wife, but mm-hmm. that wasn't really publicized at the time. Uh, it really was a different time back then. Um, Miss Kitty throws Jackie into the pool as BB makes her entrance. Ivory's out next, and all three of the remaining women are in the pool. The bell rings, they pull Ivory into the pool, and JR says he's called a lot of matches over his 20 years, but nothing like this, folks. No. what a, It's barely a match. We can't really describe it. It's not a match, yeah. A bunch they... of women in a pool trying to take each other's clothes off. Not to say it wasn't over, though. The crowd was very much into it. Oh, and, yeah. you know, I'm sure when, we were, different all, time. when we were watching this as, you know, young teenage boys, <laughs> everyone enjoyed it um, for the obvious reasons. So that's all this match was. No one was trying to pretend it was anything other than that. 
Um, yeah. I will say, though, the most infamous part of this match, and maybe the thing this pay-per-view is famous for, is Miss Kitty. She wins at the end, and then she's like, you all came to see me naked. They made me wear underwear. So she's trying to take off some of her clothes. Well. Yeah, they get booze, but then when she's in her underwear, she's like, I came here to get naked. She takes her top off, and then Sergeant Slaughter grabs her, but the crowd, you know, it's a huge pop, obviously. But anyway, on pay-per-view and even on the video version, that was uncensored. So mm. I remember everyone being like, oh my God, have you seen Armageddon 99? It's, it was just for that yep. one. <laughs> yeah, there was there was uh, screen caps going around the internet of that in it in the most smallest resolution possible. Did you, I also did not realize that Miss Kitty had that much of a Southern drawl. Oh, it's hilarious. She, yeah, it's very funny. I don't remember her talking. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, full, you know, Jerry Waller, so, redneck bait. I don't know what to say. <laughs> so before we, we wrap up on that bit, I should mention there is, a, JR is just fantastic on commentary because he tells the he tells the audience, put the women and children to bed as Mae Young struggles with a live mic. But Sergeant Slaughter is thankfully out there again to avoid anything there. JR's commentary must be heard to be believed, but he throws to Kevin Kelly in the back. Kevin Kelly's back with Rikishi. Rikishi's teaming up with Viscera to take on the Hollies, and we see them a recap of them beating up the Hollies on Heat. It's a really odd promo from Rikishi because he hasn't quite figured out what, what or who he is. I don't think he ever did in terms of promos as Rikishi. Rikishi was over as the character and, you know, as the, the enforcer of too cool and the guy who would dance and do the stink mm. face, but this promo, I thought it was weird because he opens yeah. it by saying hickory dickory doc Rikishi finally talks and it yeah. kind of rhymes, but not really. And it's like, Oh, is that what he's going to be this cool guy, which I guess, you know, he probably was in real life anyway. And you know, he, he was, had done a character sort of, I guess that was like a prototype Uso, you know? Mm. That's kind of what this promo was. It was like the, his boys all figured this out more than he could <laughs> in terms of talking. But I thought it was kind of cool when you look at it that way. That, you know. What about the what about the bit where he goes, he represents all the fat, healthy people in the yeah, world? That, you know what? That actually got a big pop, though, which was so weird. <laughs> He's like, I, I, yeah, represent all the fat, healthy people like me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh... Um, so he, they're up against the Hollies, and Howard Finkel says that they're weighing it at over 800 pounds. Vistra is out next, and we should point out, too, he's a former king of the ring. Mm. Go figure. Uh, Rikishi comes out after that, kicks off the match, goes to work on Crash Holly. Bob Holly uh, is in next, and King is still preoccupied by Miss Kitty. As JR says that Rikishi has an ample-sized posterior. Yep, something he would say for years to come. <laughs> I gotta say, Rikishi figuring out the character real quick. Once he once he became Rikishi and he embraced the idea of wearing a G-string, you know, while he's mm. wrestling, he just came up with all that ass-based offense and just you know, hitting, mm. sitting, running in the corner, you know, slapping his butt. He figured it out, and then once he incorporates the stink face, it's all on. You know, like we've said, he's the real Mister Ass. <laughs> Someone who really isn't good as a big man is viscera he looks like he's moving in slow motion oh, he really does <laughs> that's why this match was so short there's only so much viscera can do <laughs> it should have just been two on one with rikishi and the hollies yeah 
Uh, it might as well have been because that's all it was. Mm. So Viscera takes out Rikishi accidentally and Hardcore Holly gets a pin and the victory. Post-match, Rikishi's pissed off at Big Vis and they throw hands at each other. The refs try to separate them. That's about it, really. But yeah. um, next, uh, up, next up. I do want to say it's very 1999 for anyone who doesn't know because, you know, most people, we just know Rikishi as Rikishi. But when he first debuted, and even here, he was still Rikishi Fatu. Fatu. Mm. But Fatu, because it's 1999 and he's doing like a hip-hop gimmick, it's spelled P-H-A-T-U, <laughs> like fat at the time, which, yeah, very yeah. funny. I believe Rikishi's, like, um, Rikishi's merch used to actually just have, like, Rikishi with, like, fat wear, like, P- like rip off the rip-off FUBU jacket he had. Yeah, Remember? when he started wearing the, yeah, the Rikishi, yeah, the fat wear or whatever. It's so weird. It was such an odd time. Uh, speaking of odd times, Lily- Lillian Garcia is next with Val Venus, and Val seems to have a bit less of a porn star tendency than previous backstage promos. But yeah. I... I as I say that, he also then says that he's going to win the European Championship, fly over, and then sleep with all the women in Europe because he's the Eiffel Tower and Big Ben rolled into one. Yeah, he had to still sneak that some in, into there, but he was trying to be more serious here. The only problem I thought, like, the promo was good near the end when he started speaking Spanish to Lillian, and then she, like, walked off with him. That was cool. But when he started the promo, he went into the most cliched, wrestler promo ever because he's like let me tell you something and when the dust settles and the smoke clears when it's all said and done like he said all the fact of the matter is Lillian you know (laughs) yeah yeah he did all that stuff he went through the full box and dice Mm. um but yeah so Lillian Garcia does seem like she is, you know, a willing participant in this, which is good to see at least. Um, we get to the match. It is D'Lo Brown versus Val Venus versus the British Bulldog for the European Championship. D'Lo isn't dressed like a pimp for the match, and he doesn't have a chest protector, but he does get a good ovation from the crowd. Mm-hmm. Val Venus is in player two attire, if anyone's played um, <laughs> No Mercy. British Bulldogs out with the Main Street Posse, and JR once again takes exception to the Posse wearing sweater vests. He hates the sweater vests so much. It's so funny. <laughs> um, Teddy Long tells the Posse to head to the back as the match gets underway, and Bulldog actually looks good this match compared to last month. I thought that too. Bulldog did impress me in this one. All of the guys were pretty solid here. Just for a short, old-school triple threat match, you know, the, the formula is there. Yeah, Val's good in it. Delo's good. Delo does a massive dive to the outside. There's lots of cool moves here. Uh, it's it's a fun short match. There isn't too much to it, but everything they do looks good. And we've seen Delo and Val wrestle before. They've got really yeah. good chemistry. Bulldog not have to not having to carry too much of his weight here is a good thing because of his you know he's getting older and his injury and whatever. But the match yeah. is fine. There was one great part near the end where D'Lo hits a sunset flip powerbomb on Val, which looked awesome, but then he goes for the pin. Bulldog drags Teddy Long out of the ring to break up the pin, but then Teddy Long's yelling at him, and Bulldog's like, nah, it wasn't me, it was this guy in the front row. I've never seen a heel do that, but I thought that was great, that he was blaming a fan for pulling the ref out. There's another cool bit there too because that leads so Bulldog does a power slam on Val Venus but D'Lo puts Val's foot on the ropes the, the finish of the match is pretty good because yeah. 
D'Lo does a sky high onto the Bulldog. As he goes for the cover, Val Venus then hits the money shot in both and gets the win to win the European Championship. So one of the, along with the six-pack challenge, you really, you need to put Bulldog in this era in multi-man matches. Absolutely. He's not going to carry his singles match anymore. Like we saw mm. with The Rock, it was a bit of a struggle. But this was good here. And again, especially the last couple of minutes, a fine match, nothing wrong with it. The wrestling is good. The crowd is into it and they further along the story. You know, sometimes yeah. that's all it is. Michael Cole's in backstage with X-Park and heel X-Park is so douchey, he's wearing a bucket hat. Yeah, like no, the double whammy. Like I said, he doesn't just wear a bucket hat. He tilts the, the you know, like the, the brim. brim up to look like a fedora. You know, the two douchiest hats in one. <laughs> With a bandana under it. With a bandana. You couldn't hate this guy more. He was so good. <laughs> um, now, the stipulations in place of the cage match against Kane is Kane can only win by pinfall, but X-Park can climb out of the cage or by pinfall. So we get to the match. Kane is also wearing his player two attire tonight. <laughs> Just a good night for player yeah. two. And he's out with Tori, who, as we've mentioned before, has had a remarkable run during a brief moment in the WWF. I mean, she's been in two video games and somehow in as part of the hottest angle um, as part of DX's entourage later on. She just does nothing. I've never understood it. Like, yeah, what a weird run. Literally just, nothing. Just a valet, but one who isn't known for doing anything. Hmm. So X-Pac makes his entrance. He locks the cage and goes to talk smack to Tori on the outside. She's dressed to match Kane, which I thought was nice. Mm -hmm. Kane exits the cage and goes after X-Pac. And JR goes through the history of Kane and X-Pac, which when I was a kid, it seemed like these guys were a tag team for as long as the Rockers were. Yeah, no, it was like barely six months, you know. This is a really good match, yeah. and it's one of the it's one of the times too where I reckon that Jr. is liking this match so much that he's getting so pissed off at King that he's just like, just shut up with the innuendo. Oh, specifically, he flat out says, "Can you stop and get away from all these penis innuendos?" Hmm. And King just cracks up. King did have a good line. It was similar to one he did a couple of months ago, but he changed the punchline. He said, "When Tory first saw Kane nude." She said, I guess I'm the early bird. And JR's like, rawr, rawr, you know, <laughs> it's good. A very, it's a good line, that one. Um, so it, it's a back and forth. And the New Age Outlaws run out towards the end with some bolt cutters. They cut, cut open the padlock and pop a chair in the ring after Billy Gunn smacks Kane's head with the cage door. X-Pac does an X-Factor to Kane on the chair, then handcuffs him to the second rope and delivers a few chair shots to him. Tori then comes into the cage, but eats an X factor for her troubles. You know, she was at least willing to take bumps. Oh, absolutely. Cause she was a wrestler. So she was good in that sense. Not even just an X factor, X factor. X-Puck spits in her face, then hits it. It's like that. Yeah. X-Puck was a real, real, you know, hateable. Bad guy. <laughs> um, uh, Tori, Tori comes into the cage. As I said, um, Kane is enraged and he kicks the X he kicks the chair back in X-Pac's face, breaks himself free from the handcuffs, and there is a huge X-Pac sucks chant as he mm. climbs out of the ring. Um X-Pac climbs out of the cage, but his feet don't touch the floor because Kane is out of the cage and puts him on his shoulders. 
puts him back into the cage and smacks him with the door and then does a huge flying clothesline off the top of the cage, does Kane's tombstone and gets the win. It's an awesome, awesome finish. An amazing ending. A very good match and it built and built like it keeps getting better. Every step and, you know, from X-Puck taking over to the Outlaws coming out to the creative finish with the run-ins and everything. A very, very good match Ten, you know, for 10 minutes in a cage. The sort of, I know they created the stipulation and it led to the ending, but either way, what a cool creative ending of Kane walking outside. That was the only way he could stop X-Puck from winning, but it backfired on the heel. That's what made it good. X-Puck said, fine, if you go outside, it doesn't count as a win. So X-Puck could go, so Kane could go outside, but it means he could stop X-Puck from winning too. And that clothesline off the top of the cage, I don't remember that. I don't remember yeah. it. I know Kane's done a lot of athletic stuff. He, you know, would jump to the outside sometimes. But God damn, for him to jump off the top rope and hit it perfect. It looked like Perfectly. when you do it in a video game where like, oh, yeah. the collision detection catches it and it hits yeah. <laughs> absolutely perfect. And yeah, what a fun match. These guys was, uh, had yeah. such good chemistry, you know. A great wrap up to to sort of uh, and the feud's still not over, but um, it's a good way for Kane to get some comeuppance there after basically being uh, made a bitch by DX. Mm -hmm. um, next up, it is China and Chris Jericho in a rivalry that knows no gender, according to Chris Jericho. We see a highlights package of the feud. Both of their themes is the soundtrack. There's no voiceover. Um, that was very <laughs> weird. A very WCW move. I yeah, thought. yeah. Not, a, not the best video they've done. That's for sure. Um, so we go back to the commentary table as JR makes a double entendre joke about King saying tit for tat, yeah. which is out of character for our, our boy uh, JR. Um, it's also, seeing Jericho's intro in standard definition is just so weird now. Really? I, I thought that that's how I picture Chris Jericho, you know, old Jericho. No, no, no. No, no. I mean, like when they show the, when they put the camera on the Titan Tron. Oh, on the Titan Tron. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because you're so used to seeing it so clear and yep. pristine now. But um, JR, I did like it how JR um, compares this to a tennis match with Billie Jean King. China also has shedded all remnants of Triple H. She's all basically all in on just herself. Oh, yeah. She's got the don't treat me like a woman music and, you know, all that. It's a pretty interesting match. It's probably one of their better ones um, out of their series. I, I, it's, But at the same time, you can sort of see why Jericho says that China's hard to work with because she really doesn't get that much heat at the start. Like people want to get into Jericho. See, I don't know. I thought the crowd got into it as it went, though, especially when they went on to the outside yeah. and China hit a drop kick into a chair into Jericho's face. They started to get into her there. But yes, even in yeah. that, the crowd was definitely a bit more split than last month because they're about to turn Jericho face. Him being a heel isn't working. For some reason, the WWE crowd thinks Jericho's a face, whereas in WCW, they could get away with him being a heel for longer. But either way, this was another really good match. And I was just going back through the previous months. China has been in one of the best matches on pay-per-view for like the past six months. The two with... Yeah, since Jeff King of the Ring onwards. Yeah, the two with um, Jericho now. This was another really good one. At Fully Loaded, she was in that tag match with um, Billy Gunn and X-Puck and uh, Road Dog. And uh, yeah, mm -hmm. at the King of the Ring, she had the really good one with Road Dog as well. 
So I don't know anyone who sorts who tries downplaying China now and saying, oh, you know, she wasn't that good, or she had a couple of matches, but it was like a you know a novelty or whatever. Yeah. I don't buy it. I thought she was um yeah really really good here and over and held her own against uh, Jericho here. There's an awesome spot where China gets hung up in the ropes. So Jericho then goes to work on her injured thumb. And then another cool one, because they, they expose a turnbuckle early in the match. China gets a catapult into it. That leads to a near fall. Jericho reverses a pedigree and gets a near fall of his own. And the crowd yeah. is fully all in now. Jericho locks in the walls of Jericho in the middle of the ring. And China taps out and Jericho gets his first WWE title. Yeah, it's a cool ending. They go back and forth with all those big moves uh, and we see Jericho win and get a pretty good reaction. And even though he had broken China's hand with a hammer on Raw to lead up to this match, which they kind of just didn't mention too much aside from her having a cast on, he's doing a promo backstage after the match uh, and China confronts him. Instead of getting angry or getting into a fight, she offers to shake his hand and he does. So this is kind of the end of... Jericho being a straight-up bad guy is pretty much a face by the Royal Rumble. He also is, is trying to bring over his uh, WCW-ness because he refers to Michael Cole as Mitchell. He does, yeah. I don't know, the name thing wouldn't work all the time for Jericho in the WWE. No, no. Them Southern crawls down, uh, those Southern fans in WCW were very easily amused by that. But what about Jericho? Work up north. What about his old radio voice? You know, like some people just sounded different when they first... He was like, hey, Mitchell Cole. He's got like the real put-on voice. He reminds me of that. He he sounds like... Remember when he was that fake announcer, Clint Bobsky, in Southpaw Regional Wrestling? Yeah, it's his early wrestling that's, voice. That's right? his early... Re- yeah, that's all it is, basically. Because yeah, remember, so. we noticed it with The Rock as well, and even with Edge. Certain guys, when they first get on the mic, they think they have to, you know, add this extra voice. Yeah, well, the fact of the matter is, JR, that the people... Yeah. Uh, so next up, it is The Rock and Sock Connection versus the New Age Outlaws. We're in full alternate attire mode here because Mankind is wearing his No Mercy Player 4 <laughs> attire, the blue shirt. And um, there is a thunderous ovation for The Rock here. The guy does not need a championship. You can see now why he was the guy to sort of give the rub to Angle and Brock when they had their championship feuds. Yeah, and isn't it weird, though, like, watching The Rock do a match like this? He didn't even do a promo on the show, which, you know, The Rock normally mm. would on a, a pay-per-view. I, I, it's odd seeing Mankind and The Rock in a tag match like this, especially yeah. when their main event scene is struggling. We've got Big Boss Man and Big Show and Triple H and Vince McMahon and you've got Mankind and The Rock, like, right here. <laughs> Don't you want to do something with them? Yeah, it's it's bizarre. But it also goes to show, too, a couple of things. That that The Rock, as a as a performer, didn't care where the hell he was on the card. He was just no. like, whatever. Yeah. Which, which is great to see. And that literally, he was just that over. He didn't need a title, didn't need anything, didn't need to be the featured um, sort of thing. He was a made man by now, and it was just... Yeah, he was just slotting in anywhere, which is one thing that we can't say about Billy Gunn, because I just love that he is just, he's the weakest out of the outlaws, which I hate saying he's doing such great work now, but part of me is wondering if it's because of the nostalgia thing. 
But Billy Gunn is just, yeah, I don't know what it is. It's it's just he ninety nine doesn't work out for him. He's just that's it. This is what he's comfortable with, and this is where it works. He feels like a big deal in the New Age Outlaws, but doesn't feel like a big deal on his own. And yeah, you're right. Credit to The Rock. You can put him anywhere and it works. And he's willing to go along with it. He wrestled Billy Gunn, wrestled Val Venus, wrestled uh, Big Boss. Bulldog? uh, Sorry, Bulldog. The Rock will just do it. And like, okay, if you think it'll work there, I'll do it. When people now, they say, oh, The Rock comes back for these big paychecks. He's just coming back like, you know, the feud with Cena and CM Punk. That's Mm. been the knock on The Rock. But when The Rock was a full-time wrestler, he did so much to just put other guys over and be like, all right, cool, I'll lose here, whatever, and I'll work with these guys who aren't, you know, fully established yet. The Rock was always good in that sense. There's a great bit too, because Mankind's book is still relatively fresh about now. So um, JR constantly uh, is trying to pump it up while King constantly tries to shoot all over it. And there's a line where King, uh, JR asks King, um, how many bestsellers have you written? And the king says he hadn't had the time to write his memoirs. Yeah. Now, if I rec- if I recall, when King did write his book, it didn't make it to number one. Oh, didn't it? I don't think it did. Oh no. The book. It, it's it's good to be king. Is the name of the book because I think it came out in like two thousand and two. Yeah. When it was sort of. It was yeah. Where did it peak at? It's good to be king. I'm trying to find it. I can see it here. It's got some good reviews, though. I'm looking here on uh, Amazon, 4.4 rating. That's not bad. Oh, don't get me wrong. It's a great, it's a, I'm sure it's a good book, but I'm pretty sure that the book um, didn't go to number one. Come on, that's a shame. Uh, But yeah, no, you know what, though? It's probably because Jerry Lawler, you know, didn't want to promote it too much and didn't want to brag because he did drop the line in this uh, match. He said, an author who keeps talking about their own book is like a mother who talks about their own kid. Nobody wants to hear about it. <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 an interesting one. It's a, yeah, 2002 it came out. So we're at the tail end of the Attitude Era. So remember, during the peak of the Attitude Era, WWF The Music Volume 5 went to three on Billboard. Oh, all of their books were bestsellers back then, like that crap one about The Rock and about the China Rock, yeah. and whatever, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> poor King, you just missed the wave there. Um, there is the, the Rock and Sock are huge. There's a huge Rock and Sock chant here. I, I do love how Billy Gunn's singles career is just, it's its like he woke up from a dream and all of a sudden he was just teaming with Road Dog again. Yeah, it never happened. He's just right back in the outlaws. Uh, Mankind here in his blue shirt, though, that this like strange era of Mankind does feel kind of down. Even though he was world champion at SummerSlam for one more night, it just, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's so weird. But again, his next two months are going to be, you know, arguably the biggest of his career. But it just feels weird. He really went through a strange lull. So it's a bit of back and forth here too. Billy Gunn is still the king of the hot tag. I will. That's one positive I will say about Ooh. him. Um, there is a great part there where, where Mankind mocks the shake, rattle and roll from the road dog, but takes out the referee. There's a pile driver that leads to an epic three count, but the ref is still out. Then Al Snow runs out and gives a headshot, like literally with head, mm. to mankind, but the rock pulls the ref out of the ring to stop the count. 
Rock then runs the entrance way to take out Al Snow as Mankind takes the ring bell and smacks Billy Gunn on the head with it, but he kicks out at two to a shot from the ring bell. Yeah, I thought it was weird because it they made it seem like he was out because of head, but he could kick out on his own from a ring bell. It was very strange. Mm. And then I was starting to think, well, maybe he would have kicked out from the headshot anyway, and the the you know count didn't need to be broken up. Because it is Mick Foley. Should one shot with head or one shot with a ring bell keep him down anyway? We saw him yeah. take 11 shots from The Rock, you know, at the Royal Rumble, and he's fallen off cages and got back up. So maybe that's just part of his, you know, it's Mick Foley. He can kick out of that. It was a bit weird, though. Yeah, he's got he's got like XP points where they just get it's knocked different. down a bit. Yeah, yeah, he's leveled he's leveled up because he's focused more on hardcore points than he has on like you know Technique. speed and stamina. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a huge hot tag for the Rock, and he cleans house, does a Samoan drop on Billy Gunn, spine buster on Road Dog, and a rock bottom on Billy Gunn. But Al Snow, that dirty dog, interferes for the DQ. Rock and Sock get the win, but there's a rock bottom on Al Snow and he gets the people's elbow for his troubles to send everyone home happy. Yeah, exactly. Not much of a match, but the crowd gets to see what they wanted and that's the rock hitting the people's elbow and they get to cheer for him. Feels like a strange place to put the rock and Mick Foley, but I was thinking about it at the end of this match. You've got them in a tag match that barely mattered. You've got Big Show and Boss Man wrestling for the world title. And you've got Vince McMahon in the main event with Triple H. The WWE were going up against Starcade this month. That's normally WCW's <laughs> biggest pay-per-view of the year, biggest pay-per-view of all time. It didn't. Their WrestleMania. Yeah, their WrestleMania, the granddaddy of them all, didn't make a difference. They could run this pay-per-view, uh, and you know, and that was enough. Let's talk about this because next up it is the big show versus the big boss man. It's a recap of the show's feud with boss man. I forgot how ridiculous this was. I think I blacked it out of my memory. It was highlighted obviously by the infamous funeral. There is also, I didn't realize there was a part where boss man and Albert try to gas the big show. Yeah. I don't remember that. I do remember the other parts. Yeah. The funeral and, Big Show also telling, uh, sorry, Boss Man getting Big Show's mum to admit Just call him that, a bastard. <laughs> that Big Show is adopted and he's a bastard or whatever. So stupid. One of the very stupidest things you will ever see here. And we always sort of say that 1999 was the Boss Man's banner year. Mm. This is clearly the apex. <laughs> yeah, it really was. And you know what? Look, to be fair, it was a memorable feud, if not a good one. Yeah, yeah, that's that's basically the only highlight of it. Um, Bossman cuts a promo. To be fair, gets him a bit of heat at the start of the match, and Show beats the shit out of him. That's about it, really. Albert tries to get involved, but he puts him through a table very early in the piece. Bossman gets the upper hand with the stairs afterwards. A huge, boring chant from the crowd. They're clearly like not dishing up big Bossman main eventer. No, and what's funny, and, they, chant, um, they chant boring, but the match is so quick, it barely has time to be boring, you know? Yeah, because the Big Show just ends it with a choke slam, it retains the title, and thankfully, it's over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, this, this, match has the, this match has the same redeeming qualities that Superman 4, the quest for peace, has, that it's so bad, but at least it's quick. Yeah. And we never see Big uh, big Boss Man in the main events again. Thank heavens for that. So next up, it is a no-holds-barred 
Balls Count Anywhere match, Triple H versus Vince. The return of the Bank Gothic fault, Simon. I don't know if you noticed that one. <laughs> no. The font of the millennium. <laughs> what about um, the uh, the graphic for the main event, though, of Triple H, Vince, and Stephanie, like the match graphic? They're all doing mm. the same pose. They're all just crossing their arms. Crossing up, yeah. They, they all look like disappointed parents. And and Stephanie McMahon, because we haven't seen her as the billion-dollar princess yet. She's not the heel. Like, we only know her as daddy's little girl, um, Stephanie McMahon here. Mm-hmm. But um, she's out first, no music. She's sitting front row. And Triple H is out next. And it's only here that I finally realized in the opening to my time, it says, you let the music team playing Mr. Dunn. Yeah, I thought we've gone through this on a previous podcast. I'm sure the the insider references in this song are are crazy. He says, yeah, let the music keep playing Mr. Dunn. And then he says, or the other part, he says, yo, Jimmy, hit me with that Triple H. I think that's a reference to Jim Johnston as well. So it's kind of fun. It's it's very, very insider, which suits Triple H's character because, you know, he is the game and he's taken over the company and... It all ended up happening in real life. It's all very weird. <laughs> and remember there's the part at the end of the song where they're like, you know, it doesn't matter who's sleeping with who or blah, blah, blah. It's all very weird. The, the song yeah. was the the prediction of his career and whatever. Yeah, all his stupid rules, that bit where it just keeps going on and on. All your stupid <laughs> rules, exactly. He rewrote the rules. It's a fantastic. It's a, it's, I really wish that he... Like Motorhead, obviously, we've said it before, the the pinnacle of uh, and quintessential theme for Triple H. But my time still was is an absolute banger to this oh, day. But let's if get to he the match. Came so. Out to my time, just one more time, it would be cool. Mm. Although, would do you reckon that it'd be like when when CM Punk and AEW came out to uh, his AFI. Ring of Honor theme? Yeah, yeah, and some people got it, and a lot didn't. You're probably right. Yeah. You know, yeah. they will be like, oh, "What's this stupid?" Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's look at this match because it's fifty-three-year-old Vince against twenty-eight-year-old Triple H. Um, it the crowd is on fire. <laughs> yeah, for the first few minutes. Mm, mm. So Vince blinds Triple H, Mister Fuji style, then it unloads <laughs> on him like fully, full huge something. Yeah. Triple H, I love. Pantomime heel Triple H. Which he had to. And to be fair, that was a good idea because how would Vince McMahon get on offense if not mm. for cheating with a guy like Triple H? So it was a good sneaky tactic, but the crowd was into it because he's the good guy here. I thought it was funny that they mentioned that Vince McMahon is 53 and he's going up against the 28-year-old Triple H. We can't even talk about ages anymore. We yeah. literally this week had Edge versus Minoru Suzuki wrestle on AEW. <laughs> They're both 52 and 53. What does it and, and we're all waiting for The Rock to come back excitedly. He's 50 as well. Like, whatever. And also, the main event for the WWE Universal Championship is a fatal four-way between AJ Styles, LA Knight, Roman Reigns, and um, Randy Orton. Not a single person is under 40. <laughs> No, no, Roman Reigns is under 40. But Isn't he? What, what's he, no, 38? he's like 38. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's You might as well put that when, as like... When you're talking, 35 used to be considered your old back here. Like, the only guy who was even close to that with, was The Undertaker, and he wasn't even close yeah. to it. He was like early 30s, so... Yeah. What a yeah. strange time. 
so um, mankind comes out with a shopping trolley full of weapons for Vince. And no matter how many times I see it, Mick Foley communicating with thumbs up is still the most hilarious thing for me. You know how he always does the <laughs> yeah. cheesy, like the dad thumbs up, like, yeah, it's good, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Triple H gets a bottle of water and washes his eyes out, but then eats a barrage of shots of the head with a trash bin lid. And um, Stephanie McMahon talks smack to Triple H while, when he gets bundled into the crowd. And they're at, then this fight moves up to the entranceway. Triple H drills Vince with the shopping trolley like we're playing SmackDown on PS1. <laughs> yeah. It's so video game-like. It, it is, and that's what it feels like. They just go from bit to bit using the weapons. If this was 15 minutes, it would have been great. We've seen Vince McMahon have a lot of fun brawls with Austin, Shawn Michaels, and whoever else through the through the years. And I was kind of into this at the start, but this ends up going for 30 minutes. It is way too long. <laughs> you know, that's a knock that Triple H has had throughout his career later on, that mm. some of his matches are way longer than they have to be. And this might be one of the early ones of that. Yeah, so there's a bit where, as I mentioned, it is like like ticking off cutscenes in a video game because there's a mm-hmm. bit where Triple H knocks Vince off his feet with a machine gun turret. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know Vince what? That's the tears. highlight of the match, though. When he hits Vince McMahon with that machine gun, you see Vince's head not just whiplash and wobble. I swear in slow motion, it looks like his head bends. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, that, I think that did a lot of damage to Vince McMahon moving forward. So they, and you're right. After that, you could end the match there. Perfect. Well done. Good brawl. But somehow they brawl to the backstage area and Triple H goes missing for a bit. Vince goes to find him, heads outside of the arena, and Triple H in a Toyota Camry. I know it's a Toyota Camry. It's the same model Camry (laughs) that I used to own in 2005. That's the same. (laughs) And, And Triple H. Laws it towards Vince. Like there, there is a not there is a not a lot of error for Vince McMahon to dodge that Camry speeding. Oh, I know. He going and it was raining. Everything was wet. He did a really good job of climbing that, you know, like the railing last minute. Um, so Triple H gets out of the car, starts fighting Vince. They make their way. Oh, he body slams Vince on top of a limo and drops an elbow onto him. This is just going in going on and on in slow motion. It's almost in real time, how long it would take to brawl outside in a car park when you're all out of breath. Mm. Um, they make their way back into the arena. They trade back and forth as Vince uses a steel pipe on Triple H, who then climbs some scaffold to escape mm. Vince. Um, Vince gets knocked off the top of it as Stephanie McMahon looks on with a concerned look. Vince gets busted wide open. Look, Triple I, H- I do want to talk about that part. That gets a holy shit chant and the crowd's almost back into it. The illusion is ruined, though, when Triple H climbs down the scaffolding and he's trying to avoid what Vince landed on, but he accidentally mm. steps on it and you just see it bounce like a bouncy yeah. castle. And you're like, ah, it was just a cushion. Kind of like, and that would happen to Triple H again at WrestleMania 17 with The Undertaker, where they brawl on the outside. The they, go, they, they go to the scaffold and Undertaker choke slams him. And I remember watching it when we were young. And we're like, oh my God, that was crazy. But then they showed the replay and you see that, that it was just a, a mattress. Yeah, it like, almost just ah. it just yeah, <laughs> yeah. caves in like when you haven't tucked in a bed sheet properly. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so the best part about this is like Stephanie McMahon is so good. Like her facial expressions are just fantastic. Um, Triple H gets on a mic and asks Stephanie what she feels like inside to watch her daddy get his ass kicked. Vince makes his way back into the ring. JR is on fire here, calling Triple H a no good son of a bitch. Um, Triple H tells Vince to quit, but he doesn't. So Triple H gets a steel pipe and JR has the line of the night. What kind of bastard is Triple H? <laughs> yeah. This is the start of, you know, evil Triple H and JR just hating him so much. The ref says don't beat Vince for the pipe, so he goes and gets a sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. Stephanie McMahon screams for mercy as Vince kicks Triple H in the balls. This turns the momentum a little bit, so he grabs the sledgehammer, and he's about to use it on Triple H, but Stephanie hits the ring and says, no, 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 I want to do it with the most outrageous pantomime you'll ever see. Yeah, like she was going to swing it right over her head, and yeah, she milks it. (laughs) So she stops Vince from hitting Hunter, saying that she wants to do it, but she hesitates, and JR actually... Plays it off really good because she sort of says like, oh, she couldn't bring herself to do it. She's too yeah. good. She's too pure. She can't do this to Triple H. But Triple H gets the sledgehammer, smacks Vince with it. He gets the win as Stephanie checks on the fallen bloodied body of Vince McMahon. Hunter then motions to hit Triple H as JR loses his mind um, because he motions because he goes to hit Stephanie McMahon. And JR's like, don't you dare hit her, mm. Tri- Triple H, you bastard. But wait, it's a swerve, and JR is the most betrayed man in the room. It's so good. You know what? The match is, you know, long and it drags out and it gets kind of boring. The ending, though, is pretty iconic. It would give us, you know, basically the rest of WWE history with uh, Triple H and Stephanie becoming an item on screen Mm -hmm. and off. But the ending is done really, really well. And yeah, There's so many swerves, especially we saw one in almost every match in WCW in Starcade. This one doesn't feel like it for the sake of it, because when they explain it, it actually did make a lot of sense. Yeah. In that, Stephanie, why would she like uh, Vince McMahon? He put her through hell with the ministry stuff. He tried using her as a pawn just to get back at Steve Austin. And she mentions that. They bring that all back. So they incorporate recent history they make it sound like it makes sense and she says you know i know there's no one you'd hate me being with more than triple h and blah 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 so mm-hmm. it's kind of a cool way to turn stephanie heel worked really it worked out perfectly in fact i even i've even written in my notes um this is the best one of the best swerves of the attitude era fantastic yeah. heel turn by stephanie yeah and um, it would give us you know the mcmahon helmsley era which will run through 2000 yeah, and so top to bottom, I was pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed Armageddon uh, 1999, barring uh, the bad bits were short and, and were over and done with, like the big show versus um, Boss Man, mm-hmm. and there wasn't anything superbly offensive. No, it was a fine pay-per-view, like easy to watch. For the most part, everything was fairly entertaining, and the things that were good were very good, like the cage match, and China and Jericho. And, you know, the main event was fun, if not just too long. So that wraps up 1999 here on Reliving the War. And we we touched on it at the top of the show, even though it was one of the hottest periods of wrestling. It was the TV that was really sort of driving it. The pay-per-views yeah. just 
didn't quite have pay-per-view quality matches. Pay-per-view quality match-ups, by all means, but definitely not to the level that we are that we know now and that would happen in 2000. Yeah, absolutely. 2000 just goes to a whole nother level. I will just say, though, in the way that both companies ended their year, so I found the pay-per-view buy rates for Starcade, which, again, that's WCW's oh, yeah. big show, you know, granddaddy of them all. So Starcade 99 got 145,000 pay-per-view buys. So, you know, that's oh, their biggest. That. Armageddon 99, 371,000. So more than double for this, you know, weird show with no Austin, no Undertaker and the big boss man fighting Big Show for the world title. WWE was just next level and they just absolutely pulverized WCW later on. But um, that's what we'll we get to next. You want to talk about some hard watches though, Simon? We have got sold out 2000 and this one is definitely going to be one that needs to be drip fed. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to the weird WCW 2000 pay-per-views because maybe we're going to get some new characters, but I'm probably being too optimistic in thinking that they're going to be fun to watch. This show was the most snake bit WCW show because there's no Vince Russo and no Ed Ferrara. It's only been three months <laughs> and he's already been kicked out. <laughs> uh, imagine, imagine the buyer's remorse after three months. You're like, oh no. This isn't what we wanted at all. He was lying yeah. the whole time. It was. It wasn't him. Austin. It wasn't him. It was all along. So we'll be looking forward to seeing that. It might be just something for uh, interest. For you know, a nice little footnote that it's it's the pay per view. It's Chris Benoit's last pay per view. It's a lot of last WCW pay per views for a lot of WCW guys like Perry Satin. Um, the radicals were basically this is basically when they leave hmm. yeah it was all so, over um, them. Uh, i don't know but so, at least on the wwe side we've got the royal rumble coming up yep 2000 is a great year and a lot of people uh, this was one of the first times too where the remember the big five of 2000 dvd that was put out mm-hmm. yep it's it's an absolute classic, and every every single pay per view there I think is an absolute banger. But yep, that about wraps up this edition of Reliving the War. We will catch you next time for Sold Out 2000. Remember, if you want to go back and look through our archives, you can do that at Grey Wolf ENT on the socials, greywolventertainment.net. We've got all of 1999 there, all of 1998, all of 1997, and 1996 from Bash to the Beach onwards and king of the ring onwards for wwf so a fair bit to go through as we continue reliving the war here on the gray wolf network this has been another presentation from the gray wolf entertainment network graywolfentertainment.net